We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Broadcasting today live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Hospitality Tent at TPC Southwind for the 2023 FedEx St. Jude Championship on 92.9 FM ESPN. Yes, sir. You heard the man. It's a Tuesday, August 8, 2023. It's time for the Gabe Coon Show live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Suite here at TPC Southwind ahead of the FedEx St. Jude Championship. We have some guys uh, finishing up some rounds, taking their practice shots, their sweet time out here. But it is a beautiful day. Um, But I am Gabe Coon, your host on Twitter at G underscore Coon 71. I should say on X. I am a former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman. I'm alongside, back in the studio, the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios. That's Connor Dunning, the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show, on Twitter at cdunning929. Connor, what's the word, brother? You miss me already? Uh, I do miss you. I also would like to thank you for saying Twitter instead of X this yeah, time. It's, it's, it's tough, man. I, I've been going back and forth. I've been switching back and forth. But it is X, ultimately, man. Like we, Eventually, we have, to, we have to say that. We don't need Elon writing us some uh, strongly worded emails. We don't need any letters sent in. But three hours of talk of the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM, ESPN, and yours truly. There is plenty to get to. We do have, off the top, some pairings. Some pairings for the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Uh, most people will be teeing off between 7.50 and 12.32 for the first and second round. I'll get to those in just a moment. But also, last night, Jaron Jackson Jr., that was fun to watch, wasn't it, Connor? Oh, it was awesome. That was, was fun great. to watch. And the FIBA World Cup team friendly versus Puerto Rico. Team USA handled business in just a massive way behind a 20-0 run in the second half. And they get there in, in convincing, convincing fashion. 117-74. to And all that discussion about what that team looks like with all that young talent, to be honest with you, I think that's all for naught. Just like it usually is, the rest of the world hadn't caught up. It feels like uh, they're, they're, they're going to be able to have a nice showing at the World Cup as this thing progresses along. But also on the show, as far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins at 5 o'clock per normal uh, from the Jeff Calkins Show and the Daily Memphian. Uh, 6 o'clock, as is customary on a Tuesday, Christian Fowler from Bluff City Media as a senior writer and content creator. We also have our podcast. It released today on the Bluff Pod. You can find it wherever you find your podcast, YouTube, Spotify, or Apple. Um, we'll take a trip around the NFL at, at some point, um, probably around 5.30, uh, there's some news on Bryce Young. Uh, we'll get to the Blitz as well, where uh, Ron Rivera has said some very interesting things about Eric Bieniemy, his new OC, his hand-picked OC, that he's being too intense for everybody in that offensive uh, meeting room, and he may, he's making them a little bit uncomfortable. But I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts 
on that as the show goes along. And we, uh, Connor, I always ask you about bracketology at this point in the calendar. Is it ever too early? Is it ever too early? It's never too early. It's never too early. Um, Joe Lenardi has updated his bracketology. We'll also have some uh, realignment news along the way. But uh, last night, watching that FIBA World Cup friendly against Puerto Rico, I mean, it went about how I thought it would go, 117 to 74. Um, but we got to see our sort of first look there at Jaron. First thing I got to bring up, though, KD and Draymond sitting together again, Connor? What's that? I mean, yeah, I, I noticed that, that too. They're, friend, they're, they're back friendly. They're all good. I don't know, man. To, it, to be honest, who knows what happens behind closed doors? <laughs> At the end of the day, these guys won rings together. Of course, I, I'm not. I'm not really sure. We don't. I, to re- be honest, we read into it too well, much. Is what I'm hearing. From I you. don't remember. Was there Draymond KD drama? I mean, I, a little bit by the end of that Warriors uh, sort of run when KD up, up, up and left. There was a little bit of back and forth there about Draymond and KD and their placement on the team and how they felt. Do you think that maybe KD is trying to be the bridge between Jordan Poole and Draymond Green? Because wasn't he working out with Jordan Poole last week? Maybe this is KD trying to to heal. Let bygones be bygones? He's trying to heal the relationship between between the vet and the young gun. So who who knows? But to be honest, yeah, I, I feel like people... We're looking into it a little bit too much. I, I did enjoy the tweets, though, that were like, Kevin Durant looked super uncomfortable sitting next to Draymond Green when it was just Katie sitting there. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how uncomfortable he ever looks. I mean, and he says he goes into meetings with Adam Silver uh, after having smoked pot. So I think, he's, I think he's pretty cool and relaxed just about wherever he goes. Right? Probably. I mean, yeah, it, it, we were seeing anxiety more than him being uncomfortable next to Draymond. He just thought everybody was looking at him. But the game itself went well, 117-74 again. That team's going to be all right. We always do too much complaining before we watch these teams play. And when we talk about the FIBA World Cup, this is not what you send to the Olympics, generally speaking. You try to get some young guns out there, give them their first run, and see what they can do. Give them an opportunity to show what they can do before they ultimately get into Olympic tryouts and get selected for the Olympic team. But I was impressed with that team and how they put it together. Um, and, And the first noticeable thing. For me, offense was running directly through Jaron to start that game. He had eight of the first 12 points, and him in the pick and roll, he picked and, and then dove at times. He had some pick and pops he was getting to. That was fun to see how Steve Kerr and that team is deploying Jaron Jackson Jr. He still got to get into his defensive bag, had two blocks, was affecting the game on both ends. But seeing him on the offensive end as the pure five was – Something I hope the Grizzlies can look at and try to deploy going into next year. Yeah, I think that it was definitely a preview of what could be in the future for Jaron Jackson Jr. A a few people, and I mean, you and I pointed out to each other when we were watching it that it really felt like Steve Kerr was deploying him in a Draymond-esque kind of role because they they kind of played a small ball last night, Team USA. They don't have a ton of size. I know they have Walker Kessler, but I don't know if you noticed, but even when Jaron was out of the game, they had Bobby Portis running the five. They also right. had Paolo running this five, a little small ball. Yeah, and they're so, going to they're going to run Paolo at the five going right. into the tournament, from what I understand. Right, right. And I mean, it it, it seemed to work last night. But yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. coming out on the perimeter, setting those screens, getting that dribble handoff, and it was it was really nice to see because you know when you look at the Grizzlies' offense, screens are such an important part of their offense. When you look at Brandon Clark and and Steven Adams, how they interact with John Morant when he's out there on the court and the point guards, if Jaron can step up and be that role too and he can help fill in that screen assist kind of gap that isn't there when Steven Adams isn't on the floor, that's a huge thing for the Grizzlies moving forward. And the thing is, you know, we talk about Steven Adams and Brandon Clark and how they affect 
um, the the offensive side of the ball when when they're using on ball screens and how good they are at it and trying to get to the rim. Stephen Adams less of a roller. Brandon Clark is really the roller and the guy who wants to finish around the rim. Uh, heavily, and he's got more of an offensive bag, I'd say, than Steven Adams, but that's not saying all that much. But Jaron Jackson Jr., the amount of different things you can do with him, if he can become a great screener on ball for John Morant, I think we saw it, uh, you know, tail end of last year at times when they were both on the floor. In those in-game situations, you start drawing up some pick and rolls with Jaron Jackson Jr., and John Morant, that is, that is a nightmare scenario for a lot of other defenses. Like, you don't know necessarily what action they're going to run off of it. I mean, Jaron can step behind the three-point line, make something happen. He can get the ball off the, off the bounce and go make something happen. You can sort of lob it down there and make something happen. Jaron Jackson Jr. has a lot more offensive ability than the good screen setters on this team, which are Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, and Steven Adams. Right, and again, the fact that he's only 23 years old and he continues to grow his bag in the way that we have been seeing is extremely encouraging if you're a Grizzlies fan. I, we've been saying throughout you know, the playoffs, throughout last season, and we talked about it yesterday, how both of us kind of believe that Jaron Jackson Jr. might be the key to unlocking the true championship potential for this Memphis Grizzlies team. And I think that some of the things he showcased last night, I know he only had 12.7 rebounds, two blocks, but he had such an impact on the game, especially on the defensive end when he I was mean, in there. He just completely disrupted what Puerto Rico wanted to do when he was in the game on the defensive end. They just they, Because he can defend not only on the perimeter, but he's got you at the rim too. I think that a, a chart came out today from NBA Index where they broke down rim protection in the NBA, and Jaron Jackson Jr. was by far the best one there. But you also saw Steven Adams, Santi was up there, Xavier Tillman was up, up there, and Brandon Clark was up there. So if Jaron can continue to grow – his ability to defend the rim, it's going to pretty much become impossible for people to score when he's in the game. But, like, when – when I know John John Martin put this out, Jason and John, of course, 11-2 to two right here on 92 United FM ESPN. Imagine three years ago, we're talking about a USA team. First of all, Jaron Jackson Jr. getting in on the, on the USA team. We didn't necessarily know if that was in the books. But to start that game, eight of the first 12 points, they were strictly running offense through him. Strictly. I mean, imagine saying that three years ago. It was a different conversation completely. This was a time where Jaron Jackson Jr. wasn't on the floor. You didn't know what the future was going to hold for him because he couldn't get on the floor. And now he has come into his own in such a massive way. I mean, largely off-seasons for him were about getting back healthy. Right. I feel like at this point, the worry of him in the off-season getting back healthy is, is not quite there. You don't need him. Uh, trying to rehab the entire time because he's not dealing with nagging injuries. He's actually playing ball in the offseason. I think this will help translate as they get into camp and they get into the early season. Absolutely. I thought one of the biggest wins from last season or one of the positives that you could take it away from it was that Jared Jackson Jr. finished the season healthy. So he was right. going to be able to get a full offseason of of health and really just working on his game. He's not having to rehab or do anything like that or take some time off. He is just going into the lab and playing basketball and then playing for Team USA. We see a lot of guys make a jump after they have a Team USA stretch. The last guy, the most recent guy to do it, I suppose, is, is like Devin Booker. Look at him. Go look at when he decided to make the Team USA jump and what he looked like the season after that. It was night and day. And I just think it's so important to a development of a player when he is able to be focused on in an offense like Team USA. It gives them a sense of confidence, I think, that is extremely important to their regular season and playoff game. 
I mean, you know, to be quite honest, even if we talked about Jaron Jackson Jr. having an offense run through him, even a year ago, it seemed pretty far-fetched. What he showed, I think, in the last two months of the season and in that playoff series with the Lakers, he showed that he has the ability to be the best guy on a basketball court when he's out there. We hadn't really seen that yet, but it really seemed like he he has kind of made it a, a mission of his to improve his offensive game and to not just be a, a big man that can pop out for a three every once in a while that needs the ball around the rim. He creates this. He's starting to create. Right, but was it always about just getting consistent reps in the offseason and being able to stay healthy? Because, I mean, in the end of the day, that's what I feel like it was. I mean, we're five years into his career. The last two have been career years. And and what is the the common theme here? He hasn't been battling nagging injuries the entire time. I mean, the fact that it seems like it was that simple is is almost frustrating for a while because you feel (laughs) like this could have been unlocked, you know, Two, three years ago. Certainly, yeah. I, I think that there is absolutely a point there, and that was a big frustration of the fan base with Jaron Jackson Jr. is that he, that he kept being hurt, and people had the worry that he was going to have an injury bug throughout his career. And, you know, that's why I think last year having a, a healthy season once he was able to come back, finishing the season healthy and having this offseason is going to be so, so important to its development for all the things that you just said. I do also think that, in a weird way, what was going on with John Morant last season, it, it kind of thrust Jaron into a leadership position, into this alpha role position on the offensive right. end for the Grizzlies that I think in the long run is going to be a good thing. I think yeah, you know yeah. that, that's a bad situation that ended up being positive for the Grizzlies in the long run because it made Jaron – Step yep. into this role that he didn't necessarily have to do and he had when Jaw was out the there. Like, right, you, you see what someone's made out of when when those type of moments hit. Like you really have to go accept that challenge, and he really did. He really did while Jaw Morant was out. Now you told me August twelfth is going to be their next friendly before before this thing gets going. Yeah, August August twelfth is going to be their next friendly. So I'm really excited to see you know kind of what they roll out there. I, one thing that did kind of pop up last night that you hope to not see in the regular season for the Grizzlies and throughout this tournament is Jaron did have he did have to sit down after he got his yeah. third foul. I will say the trend kind of continues of of ticky tack fouls hitting Jaron. That's you know, ones yeah. that I may not fully agree with. Um, and that there are some where he gets forced into a position where he has to go protect the rim last second when right. somebody's just wide open cutting for for a dive doing whatever they can do. Well, so he, he gets forced into a bad position. Right, and he, he spoke – I can't remember when he spoke about it. I, it was sometime last season. But he talked about how he has got to get used to letting those baskets go. You know, he's yeah. not going to be able to block every shot. He's not going to be able to defend every shot. So you have to just kind of accept every once in a while when you're, when you're beat, when they got you, so you can avoid getting that bad foul. So I think that that's another level of his game that he can go into. So, and, and I think that we saw that. It, it seemed like toward the end of the season – and in the playoffs, he didn't have a ton of foul trouble. And even when he did, I'm still of, of the mindset that if Jaron Jackson Jr. has three fouls, you should, he should still be out there. He has such an impact on the game offensively, especially defensively. I mean, go look at go look at baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 
at the numbers and go look at the flow of the game just last night when Jaron was on the court versus when he wasn't on the court. That's the one thing that I do have a little bit concern about for this Team USA is when Jaron's not out there defensively, who's defending the rim? Who's yep. going to do it? Because I think Paolo did fine. I think Walker Bobby Pardis did okay. Walker Kessler did it. He got, he got more did sparing it. minutes. Yeah, he did all right. He it, thought he was going to. Right. He, he definitely it. had – because he can't really do, I think, everything that Steve Kerr needs that, that guy to be able to do. I think he's mostly there to go in and block shots when they need him to. But the d- dynamic play that Jaron Jackson Jr. offers Team USA defensively and offensively is just so hard to replicate when he's not out there. No question. No question about it. Now, uh – before I tell you about these pairings of the FedEx St. Jude Championship, we do, have some, uh, we do have some Tony Allen news because of the $5 million benefit scam. Uh, we know about the health care defrauding that, that him and a lot of, his, uh, a lot of his peers did in his time. Uh, he, he's nearly paid back. Obviously, he's a 14-year veteran, and he's got enough money. He, he nearly paid back all of his $420,000 that he illegally took uh, sort of before he was charged. Um, but sentencing day was today, and he has avoided prison. And we knew that was going to be the case because he did uh, express remorse. He paid back most of what was due. Uh, but he will get community service and supervision in general. And, I, and this is good news ultimately for a guy like Tony Allen. I mean, he's big in this community, and you want to see him get back out in the community. It's been a long time. It's been a while since we've been able to see him sort of show his personality and be around people in in memphis in general yeah absolutely i think that this is good news all around it it was an unfortunate situation that arose i'm glad that ta seemed to take responsibility for what happened he paid it back and he's gonna you know serve his debt he's gonna do what he needs to do i i'm really excited for the possibilities of him being back around the team and and just the fan base because i think that ta is such an important figure in memphis and and i really hope that they are able to reschedule his jersey retirement and all that type of stuff right. so that he can have and that I think number. That's, that's going right. to be due here. It's soon. absolutely due, and it's going to be an amazing event. Um, so I'm excited to see what the Grizzlies do with him moving forward because I always thought that it was an extremely positive thing to have him around that the, the team, especially all those young guns. And, you know, honestly, right now it feels like that, you know, I know he's coming off of some legal troubles and things like that, right. but this young team does need a guy like T.A. around the team. I think that right. he could have a lot of lessons, and especially about work ethic, that he can pass on to this young Grizzlies team. So, yeah, it's, it's good news all around today. And it really is a shame that he, he got caught up in all of that. It right. really is. But I, like, there are times, you know, when you're young and you, and you get uh, sort of around your peers and they're doing one thing, you sort of go along with it. Um, but I, I'm glad he's out of that for the most part. Again, community service and supervision. Uh, for, for Tony Allen and his sentencing. Now, we again are live at the Service Master by Cornerstone Suite here at beautiful TPC Southland. The weather's fantastic out here, Connor. And now they do have AC inside for me, so that's, that's always nice. I don't need to get the sweat glands going. Um, but it looks like the weather's going to stay nice. We may get a little bit of rain tomorrow, and that may actually help conditions ultimately if they can sort of clean that up before we get to Thursday. But we do have some, uh, we do have some tea times and some groups going along. Uh, they're going to be staggering from 7.50 a.m. to 12.32 p.m. The ones I have to point out, though, are, are, I mean, the top three favorites in this tournament are all grouped together at 9.26 for round one and 11.56 for round two. John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy. That's going to be one of those featured groups, ESPN Plus, the whole nine yards. You'll be able to see that. And then the other one I'd point to is Jordan Spieth, Sung J.M., Justin Rose, 10.56 round one, 8.26 Round two, but that Rom Scheffler Rory pairing is about as good as you could ask for in the first playoff event. 
Yeah, it seems like that's where most of the star power is going to be. If I was going to have to pick a winner for this tournament, I, I feel like that selecting one of those three right. is a pretty safe bet. Honestly, <laughs> I, I think so, that yeah. I think that I'm rooting for Scotty Rory. Scotty Scheffler, thirteen to two. Rory, eight to one. John Rahm, eight to one. I would like to three. see McElroy win, man. I, you know, to be yeah. honest, after all the stuff that he just had to go through with the live golf and that whole fiasco, I feel like him getting a W here. Would uh would be nice to see. I mean, him getting a W in general. I, I think people tend to like Rory. We, we need to see him get another major, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's That's what we've been waiting on. I since just 2014. I want to see Jeffrey Wright out there in his <laughs> in his Rory uh, get up, just rooting him on. That would be that would be fantastic to see. Yeah, but guys are still rolling in one by one. Now we have to go ahead and grab a break. And uh, Joe Lenardi has done some uh, some bracketology. He's done some bracketology, some really early bracketology, and it came out today again. Uh, August 8th, Bracketology sort of in one ear, out the other. But I think there's something to be discussed as the Tigers, after their Dominican Republic trip, have moved up in his Bracketology. We'll talk about that next right here on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Now, back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Hospitality Tent at TPC Southwind for the 2023 FedEx St. Jude Championship on 92.9 FM ESPN. Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN, live out here from the Service Master by Cornerstone Suite at TPC Southwind, right ahead of the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Conditions are great. We have golfers rolling in one by one, taking their practice cuts. It's nice to see. We got Tyler and his team hanging around. Should be a great weekend that we have on tap. But we already had a great week that was on tap for the Tigers in the Dominican Republic. They go 2-1, and one, look solid, even against... Some pros in that first game against the Dominican national team, they held their own 91-84, but then they went on against two separate versions of the Dominican Republic select team and handled business. And we saw a lot of good things. We saw a lot of good things. Javon Quinterly was deferring a lot. He had seven assists in one game, nine assists in another. Jordan Brown, by the end, had shown some consistency, 23 points, 11 boards in that final game. I mean, even the freshmen had some moments. Carl Sharon Font, J.J. Taylor had 22 in that final game. Uh, Jaquan Walton in game two, 27 points and 14 rebounds. But with all that has happened, Connor, we have a Lenardi bracketology update on August 8th. Isn't it always? Be- it's just beautiful. Every single time. I have to abs- I love it. I love bracketology this early. But what he has done is he's moved the Tigers up from that 8-9 line to a 7 line. He has them in the Midwest versus Indiana at this point as the 10 seed, but he's moved them up to seven. And uh, I I think it's starting to show, I mean, as we get into preseason camp, this team is going to be thought a lot higher of. There's just too much talent, and especially if you get a guy like DeAndre Williams back in the fold, get him another year of eligibility. I, I feel like the national view of this team will just go through the roof. Absolutely. I think that, you know, the DR trip has already had a positive effect on the view of Memphis heading into this into this next season. I think everybody locally um, pretty much all agree that, you know, you add DeAndre Williams to this team. It's a top 15 team. Even without him, I could see them as a top 25. I could I think you could still argue that they're a top 20 team at least. So, you know, I'm really happy to see that they've been moved up 
to a potential seven seed here, but I can't even lie, man. To me, it still feels like it might be a little low. You know, I, I, I'm with you. I'll get to I'll get to where uh, FAU where he has FAU in a second. But I just look at this roster, and, and a question got posed to me yesterday: Is there a hole in this roster? I guess you could have an argument about front court depth, right? I mean, you don't know about if DeAndre Williams is going to come back and. Uh, you, you have Jordan Brown, of course, but you don't really necessarily have a, a, a backup five. And if DeAndre Williams isn't around, you have Nick Jordan, and you'd have to play some guys in small ball lineups. But I think they can do that. I think when, when we talk about this conference, especially, and the teams are going to be seeing even in the out-of-conference, I think the ability to play a guy like Jaquan Walton at the four, a guy like Jonathan Pierre at the four, if he, if he can show some consistency as we get into the season, um, I, I think they have multiple options to fill out that front court, even if DeAndre Williams isn't on isn't on campus. But I guess that's sort of the only thing I can really point to at this moment because I think they've filled up. Uh, you know, every you can never have enough shooting. I think they got Jaquan Walton, Javon Quinterly. They have guys who can do that for them. I, you know, I, I, I try to find a discernible, actual shortcoming of this roster just on court when we're talking about guys who play roles. Within that rotation, I, I, I struggle to find a whole lot. May I re- run a theory that I have by you about, about maybe why, why they are sitting at, at seven in the early and why some people may be hesitant to believe in this Memphis Tigers team? I am talking from a national standpoint. I, you think, know. I, I think I have a, a thought why, but let me get your theory. Okay, okay. So here's what I think. I think that locally we are so plugged into this team that we know that it is a completely different team than Penny Hardaway has really had in his tenure at the University of Memphis. This is a much older team. It's a tenured team. I mean, last year was similar, but this is a lot more talent. This is almost like a bigger collection of talent, and and they're just as old. It's the next evolution of where we saw Penny Hardaway's idea for the program going. Like last year, I think that we definitely learned that the transfer portal is a way that Penny Hardaway wants to build his team. He wants to go a little bit older, rely less on freshman players, and I think that we're seeing that come to fruition this year, I also think that Penny Hardaway, as a coach, has grown significantly from when he first took over for the Tigers to where he is now, not only on the recruiting trail, but I think just how he runs his program, X's and O's, the way he does his rotation, all of those things. Part of me feels that the national media still hasn't necessarily caught up to those two facts yet, that they are still kind of dinging this team and the potential of what this team could be because of the sins of previous Tiger teams. That's the sense that I get because, you know, I I feel like a lot of people are, well, you know, Memphis is putting together the pieces, but we have, they have to prove it before we can, before we can really learn anything about the team. So that's kind of where I think most of the national media is sitting right now when they, when they're talking about this. I think there's a natural tendency to sort of doubt what a team is going to look like in the early going for Penny. Like right. I think there's a natural tendency to do that because he hasn't necessarily through his entire tenure coaching, although the last two years have been substantially better, his entire tenure coaching been the best X's and O's guys, especially on the, the offensive end. But last year we saw him with, with the talent, with a pecking order. They figured it out. That was the best offensive team he's had since he's been at the University of Memphis. And I, and I think he can build off of that in a pretty substantial way. But I also think just naturally, and we talked to David Cobb about this, I think two weeks ago, I think there is the thought that, okay, you have brought in this, this you know, varying levels of different guys with a whole lot of talent and experience, but they haven't played together, right? And there's just zero continuity. We're talking about one guy and Jaden Hardaway, his son, 
He's the only returner on this team at this moment until DeAndre Williams ultimately, if he does, even get cleared. So there's just not enough continuity, I think, for, for the national media to really latch on to this team at this point because you, has, you haven't really seen a clear identity of what they want to do on both ends. You haven't seen who's going to step up, be the alpha, who's going to fall in line. But I, I think they have all those pieces at their disposal, ultimately. And I, I just get, you know, in this day and age of college basketball, there's, there's not a lot of continuity. I mean, rosters are turning over all the time. It's, it's, even, even with Penny Hardaway and, and only having one piece carrying over from last year to this year, I do feel like, I really do feel like ultimately he can bring this thing together just as if, or just like some of these teams that may have a little bit more returning talent. Right. It certainly feels like that Penny is the type of head coach that is is built for where college basketball is right now and kind of where it's going. You know, it's we've talked about how just getting a, a name like Penny Hardaway popping up on your phone, that that's going to that's going to cause an answer whether or not you're really interested in the University of Memphis or not, because you got to respect Penny Hardaway. You know what I mean? From parents to the kids playing right now. I mean, you still hear about guys in the NBA right now talking about how they modeled their game after Penny. He popped up in an interview from somebody a few weeks ago about a guy who he listed, you know, talk about your favorite players, and Penny Hardaway was at the top of that list there. So he carries so much clout in the basketball community. I, I, will, I will also say that I do think some of the hesitation to fully buy into this team by some of the, the national guys, uh, you know, Tiger teams have started slow the last few seasons. <laughs> yeah, we we, we no got to be honest right. about that. Like, I, mean, well, I think last year, last year was an escape from the norm. I felt like bit, there was yeah. some consistency throughout the year. But, yes, I, I, I tend to agree with you. It, it, just, it really does feel like, though, in my opinion, that all of these questions that you just kind of laid out, I think all of them are fair questions. I will say that it feels like, though, this season and this team has the potential to answer all of them pretty quickly and pretty substantially in a way that we didn't see in the past. I just I, I don't think that we're going to be asking, you know, a couple weeks into the season what the rotation is really supposed to look like or who the top dogs are. I, it feels like it's going to be naturally answered in the first couple weeks of the season. It's just the Dominican Republic trip really felt like a preview of what's to come for this Tigers team. Because like you said, that first half against the national team felt a little bit disjointed. But again, they, it was the first time that they were really playing a real game together instead of just a few times running five on five. But second half and on, it really felt like each game a natural pecking order kind of emerged. You've really hit on that. Right. Now, I, I, will, I just want to compare this um, to, to some people across the state. You look at Tennessee. and Right now, in Joe Lenardi's, uh, bracketology, they're right there. Uh, Memphis, that would be very fun if Memphis could draw a second-round matchup against Tennessee in the Midwest. But Tennessee's a two-seed against Iona, and I just look up and down that roster, and Tennessee has a good roster. They have a lot of continuity. Zakai Ziegler will be coming back off of injury. Um, you're still going to have Meshack. You have Santiago Vescovi. Josiah Jordan-James has come back for another year. They have an influx of younger talent that may be coming in. But I just compare these rosters side-by-side, side, just keeping out continuity, Feels as if Memphis's roster has a little bit more experienced talent that has been sort of alphas on their team, that have, have been those double-digit scorers that put up 10 f- field goal attempts per game at a high clip, that have decent field goal percentages. I just sort of look at, you know, compare it to, to sort of the outlook on Tennessee at this moment. It just is a little bit confusing, but the continuity conversation looms large when you see Tennessee ranked as high as they are. Um, in that in that uh, that bracketology here by uh, Joe Lenardi. Now I do also want to mention um, Florida Atlantic. 
I, I, this is it's just strange to me considering like last year. I, I think that that team that, that Penny Hardaway had, uh, they came together, they gelled, they found their roles. Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams were fantastic, but they lost to that FAU team by one point. And there was a foul call that could have gone either way, or should have gone the Tigers' way. There could have been a timeout. He call called timeout. Dang things, it. He called timeout. And, and a lot of things that could have gone a, a different direction. But Florida Atlantic, right now, I, I I get why they're viewed highly. You have a lot of continuity. You have guys that have shown that they can do it at a high level. John L. Davis is back. You know, you, you, you bring these guys that were trying to test out the NBA draft waters back, but they're they're listed as a four seed in the East compared to Memphis, who lost to them by one when there could have been a timeout potentially called. And, like, you just sort of wonder if things would have changed in that moment if the Tigers sort of pulled out that game and FAU was not able to go play Fairleigh Dickinson, make that run into the Final Four. Like, what what would the view be of Florida Atlantic right this second? I, I can't imagine they'd be a four seed in this in this early bracketology. Right. I, I do think that Florida Atlantic is a very talented basketball team. I think that they're going to be successful next year. They're going to be in position to, to make some noise again. I think I have more of a problem with it being such a gap between Florida Atlantic and Memphis than necessarily I have with Florida Atlantic being there at number four. Like, you know, you've really hit on that continuity, and I think that that is one thing that Joe Lenardi tends to really like that, and that's why I'm not sure if you noticed, but he's, he's got them as the automatic qualifier. So you know, I'm I, telling you, though, I feel like at some point there's going to have to be a different view on that continuity conversation. Because these rosters turn over at an insane rate every single year. Like, every year. I mean, you got guys getting into the portal consistently. I I feel like there's going to have to be a different view at some point. If you're bringing in the type of talent you need and you put together a great roster, I think there's going to have to be some trust on the front end based on the talent you have in your roster to be able to be ranked higher, you know, preseason polls, bracketology, the whole thing. Right. Again, I think that it goes back to kind of the larger conversation that we've been having about about Memphis this hour in that, you know, it's going to take some time, I think, for the mindset of college basketball to catch up to where the recruiting has gotten into where the transfer portal has gotten because it's it's really when you look at the sport right now as a whole it's completely different than it was three years ago two years ago even you know what i mean it's it's just the offseason is truly like free agency in college basketball right now and you know the rabbit that penny hardaway was able to pull out of his hat with this memphis team you know late late in the in the process i think might have a couple people just confused about what to think of this memphis team because even though they are bit of a of of a you know kind of a I'm trying to think of the right word I I guess like infinity stones of transfer guys right now (laughs) is what is what it feels like Penny Hardaway has there are still a few fair not not so misfit toys yeah the island of transfers that people wanted but (laughs) they ended up in Memphis I suppose is is what we could call them but yeah so I think that it's just we've got to have a couple years of proof of these transfer portal teams working for the for the mindset to fully buy into, okay, well, these teams, without the continuity, they can still be successful, just as successful as teams might, that might have had the same I, starters for the last three or four years. I'm telling you that that mindset change is going to hit fast because I, I, I expect big things from this team this year as long as right. they get everybody on the, on the floor at the same time to start the year and, and build up that resume in the out-of-conference. On the Memphis football front, Seth Hennigan, it's watch list season. Everybody, again, everybody loves watch list season like they love early bracketology season. But Seth Hennigan, Davey O'Brien watch list, one of 35 quarterbacks on it, best quarterback in the country, gets that award at the end of the year. I mean, uh, we're talking about long shot of long shot to ultimately win this award. But another 
nod for him. Maxwell and Davey O'Brien award in the same offseason. It does show that as much as unknown about this Memphis football team with all the transfer portal additions, there is that one guy at the quarterback position that you know, that you trust, that you expect to do big things in year three under center as a starter. Right, absolutely, and I think that it just it kind of reinforces the idea that this is a big season for the Memphis Tigers and Ryan Silverfield because when you have a, a talent like that at quarterback, you absolutely cannot waste that talent, so you got to go out there and get some wins. Yeah, and uh, that's on-the-field stuff, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to have to deal with some on-the-field stuff, but there's a lot of off-the-field <laughs> things happening, spiraling out of control. We know about realignment. The Big Ten is completely remade now with – Oregon and Washington, and we're going to have USC and UCLA joining. We have the Big 12, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah joining. There's some other rumors out there, and I do have to pose a question. What is going to happen with the Pac-12 now dissolved? How are we going to divvy out AQs when it comes to the 12-team college football playoff? I'll discuss that on the other side. Gabe Kuncho, 92.9 FM, ESPN. Now, back to the Gabe Coon Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Hospitality Tent at TPC Southwind for the 2023 FedEx St. Jude Championship on 92.9 FM ESPN. They keep trying to tell me All you want to do is use me. The rumor mill never stops when it comes to college realignment, college athletics realignment, and obviously all football is basically the front man when it comes to all of these discussions. It's why these decisions ultimately get made. But news just coming down, or a report just coming down from Brett McMurphy via X. He says the ACC is considering adding Cal, Stanford, and we knew about that. But he adds SMU is now on the radar of the ACC. Um, they said they would settle for just Cal and Stanford, but if Cal, Stanford, and SMU can make that decision and get over there, they would want to make that happen. SMU has a $10 million exit fee to leave the AAC with less than 27 months' notice, so that number could double if this drags on for a long time. But SMU gets, gets the nod over Memphis. Memphis has to take the back seat in, in these conversations yet again. And I, I know this is sort of the pipe dream, being able to recreate that Louisville rivalry getting Memphis into the ACC, but they, they have their preferences, and it does not involve bringing in Memphis. It does seem to involve bringing in SMU, and it just continues to feel, time after time, Connor, demoralizing. Yeah, you know, to be quite honest, I, when I sent you the, the news, it, it felt like a, a, a kick to the gut a little bit, you know, because, you know, I, I think that one of the hopes about all of this conference, conference consolidation going on is that there was going to be potentially a spot for Memphis in the in, in the ACC to, to open up. It was a bit of a pipe dream, I think, for us to, to even talk about, but there was still potential there for it to happen. And just once again, man, it's somebody else got the nod when you feel like that, that you're, you're prime and ready for it. So what, hopefully what, what, it's so, just... What's strange, though, is SMU is so far down the line. I know we're talking about Heart of Dallas Bowl, like where right. they play it, their, their stadium. They're right there in the heart of Dallas. I get all that, and they do have relatively rich donors, but from a fan interaction perspective it does get strange to me that they are they are 
the team that the ACC may want to latch their names onto here. Like, I, they just don't really have that type of draw from a fandom perspective in either of the, the revenue-generating sports. And I get that these conversations constantly come down to TV market and TV market size, the amount of TVs instead of the actual TVs being tuned into said uh, uh, universities' games. But it just gets strange to me that that's not taken into consideration. How many people are actually watching SMU consistently, especially since 2014? Memphis has outdone them in, in football, no question. Um, when it comes to the amount of TVs actually tuning into their games and, and just general TV ratings. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think that SMU would jump the line, but here we are. Now, it's still going to be a lot to make that happen. The ACC is in flux right now. We know FSU, Clemson, some other schools may be looking to get out at some point. Um, but they got a lot of mouths to feed already. And, and if they had three right now, that would be a, that'd be a hell of a lot of mouths to feed in the grand scheme of things. And, hey. They do have that water tight. It seems relatively tight. 2036 is the out date for that media rights deal, but we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, but I, I want to pose this question when it comes to realignment and the Pac-12 now being the Pac-4 and the Pac-4 likely finding places to land one by one, uh, You know, whether it be Oregon State and Washington State to the Mountain West and Stanford and Cal to the ACC, whatever it is. The Pac-4 and the Pac-12, the 108-year history seems to be over. And they had an AQ. They were one of five power conference teams. In 2024, we're going to the 12-team playoff. And the 12-team field will consist of the six highest-ranked conference championships or champions and six at-large teams. Where does this head now with the Pac-12 out of, out of the way? Do you still keep it at six? I don't think that a lot of power conference teams, especially the Big Ten and the SEC, are going to like that. They don't want a Sun Belt Conference team getting in there um, sort of by the skin of their teeth and being one of the top six ranked teams. They certainly don't want that. Do you go down by one where you have all the power fours in and maybe one of the group of fives could uh, the group of five champion could potentially get in? I think that's a possibility. But where I think this is heading based on where the money is at and what the money wants to happen, Greg Sankey thinks that the college football playoff should look at changing their rules before we get to the 12-team playoff. And I would just about imagine, I would just about guarantee his suggestion is going to be put the 12 best teams in the country in. Don't necessarily feed the group of five. You don't have to include them ultimately. But my scare there is that's the fast track to the haves and have-not scenario I've been talking about for a long time where the haves break off, they play their own championship, the have-nots are sitting there on the outside playing their own championship with less eyeballs, less TV money, and they're struggling to survive. And I feel that, I mean, that would be the fast track ultimately to that scenario, Connor. Right. You know, when you laid out all of those options right there, I think that the second one probably makes the most sense to me from a logical standpoint. But I think that you hit the nail on the head when you talked about um, whatever the money wants, is that's where it's going to go. It's going to go wherever, yep. the, wherever they think they can profit the most from this situation and once again unfortunately it feels like that the fan bases the the pageantry and some of the smaller schools might might get left out on the outside once again looking in and it just feels like that's what's been so unfortunate i think about everything that's been going down the last few months is that it has really felt like that the fans and the actual games are coming secondary to all the money um when we talk about that second scenario just knocking off one conference leaving out the pac-12 and you go 
um, five auto bids based on conference championships and then seven at largest. Um, I, I look at that and I feel like that's the most rational based on why we expanded to 12 in the first place, right? I mean, I, I know that it was for money and you can add more meaningful games. You can get some of those meaningful games to campuses. But wasn't it about having access even for the little guy? Wasn't right. that part of the conversation in the first place? Absolutely. I just hope this doesn't spiral to the 12 best teams. And I, I feel that that's where it's going to head. Right. It, it, it feels like we're on a fast track heading to that direction. I mean, you and I have talked about many times how we are both worried about where this could potentially go because, you know, it is fun when you get all of these big games and you see these big teams on national television in these big moments. But at the same time, you want to have a chance if you're a Memphis fan to be able to be in that playoff. You know what I mean? What if Memphis has a magical right. season and they get left out because they're like, well, these are the 12. Because they're 14th. Right, exactly, 15th. exactly. Right. So that's why it's, you know, that's the, the big fear, I think, heading into this. So I, I hopefully... I hope money doesn't win out, but I think ultimately that it's <laughs> you know, just we, we don't have hey. any proof that it hasn't yet. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Right. You right, hope money real. doesn't win Let out. Let me be naive. Money, money consistently uh. wins out. You can hope for the best, but again, always, always, when we're having these realignment conversations and where we're headed in college football and losing the pageantry and losing the regionality and losing all of those regional rivalries, always expect the worst. Jeff Calkins will be on the other side. I'll ask him this question as well. Uh, and we have some other things to get to right here on the Gabe Kuhn Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.